to episode five of Decoded, a podcast by Marriott Digital Services, bringing together the smartest minds, best leaders in digital, where we produce a 10-part series on all things digital marketing. I'm Mike, the Director of Program Management for MDS, and I'm joined by Chris, our Director of Customer Success. Hi, Chris. How are you? Good, Mike. How are you? Not, not bad. Not bad. Um, so this week, we'll stick to our, our usual format. We'll talk the news. Then we're joined by a special guest from uh, Milestone Internet. Her name's Tammy Carlisle. She is the head of hospitality there. Um, if you don't know, Milestone is a digital marketing and MarTech company based in Silicon Valley. And we partner with them on a whole slew of services. Um, Chris, have you ever been to Silicon Valley back when we could go through uh, airports and get on airplanes? No, but I did go to the Milestone Conference, which was fun, um, and it's a nice part of the world. It is beautiful out there. Um, so before we get into the, the news, we can't forget about the Super Bowl, which was a couple days back. All you need to know is Tom Brady won. That's it. Um, did you watch the game, Chris? I watched the first two quarters, and that was about as much as my family could take before they asked to turn it off. And we watched the halftime show, which was eventful as always. It was interesting. Um, did you have a favorite ad? Well, I think I texted you and said the ads are my favorite bit so far, because generally I, I don't really understand the sport too well. And looking, thinking back, the, the ads, they were all, I think, not as kind of creative as normal, right? I think that would be my kind of sense on it. However, um, I saw a lot talking about online and I watched it this morning was the was the Jeep ad. They, you know, a lot of people kind of resonated with it. It was very, uh, you know, you could you could understand it. it kind of tore at your heartstrings a little bit. So I thought they they did a good job. There's a chapel in Kansas standing on the exact center of the lower 48. It never closes. All are more than welcome to come meet here in the middle. It's no secret. The middle has been a hard place to get to lately. Between red and blue, between servant and citizen, between our freedom and our fear. Now fear has never been the best of who we are. And as for freedom, it's not the property of just the fortunate few. It belongs to us all. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, it's what connects us. And we need that connection. We need the middle. We just have to remember the very soil we stand on is common ground. So we can get a friend of mine was part of the Hellman's mayonnaise commercial as well. So I, I kind of looked out for that one a little bit and I thought they did a they did a good job and it was kind of connecting not just it being Hellman's mayonnaise, but kind of what you could do with it, right? And they, they kind of played on that a little bit. This is sad. Who are you? I'm your fairy god mayo. And that is a hot mess. I don't know what to do with any of this stuff. I got half an onion and artichoke. What even is an artichoke? No one knows. Just move over and watch the wings. Now, here's the Hellman's magic. Creamy, dreamy. Oh, yeah, that's normal. What else can you do? Absolutely nothing. So, how about yourself? Unlimited possibilities with the mayo. It's, it's, yeah. it's so true. Um, I, I wanted to like the Jeep ad. I think I just struggled with very old Bruce Springsteen kind of being wheeled out. Um, I like the, the message though, thought that was solid. Um, my personal favorite, I'll go the complete opposite. I like the Budweiser seltzer lemonade one where it's 2020 was a lemon. And then what do you do with lemons? You make lemonade and then it's yeah. lemons hitting people in various places. When did Bud Light Seltzer start making lemonade? Probably when 2020 handed us all those lemons. 2020 was a lemon of a year. Every minute, every hour, all the whole day through. Maybe it's in 
Well, you know what they say when life gives you we lemons. We know the saying, Mark. New Bud Light Seltzer Lemonade, packed with lemonade flavor after a lemon of a year. I don't know, I guess I just like those lowbrow slapstick, could be a Jim Carrey movie style commercials. Absolutely. All right, so why don't we go into a little bit more hard-hitting news. So um, we'll go through a couple stories as usual, and then we'll get to our interview. So um, one, I think one thing we do here at MDS is tracking, uh, is a good job of tracking internet trends, social media habits, um, new and emerging platforms, areas we think hotels can jump in on, some we think people should stay away from, all that good stuff. Um, but one that's popped up lately that's gotten a little bit of buzz, and we wanted to ask Chris about it. Chris, what the heck is Clubhouse? Yeah, so I'm in your your camp. It's wicked, wicked confusing. So I, I spent some time and, and looked into it. It launched actually in March of last year, so March of 2020. And I heard about it about a week ago, 10 days ago, and Elon Musk was doing a discussion on there about the recent GameStop event. So the kind of the bulk buying of, of stock, let's say, and he was doing that on Sunday evening of last week. So I thought, well, I'm going to sign up and then realized it was invite only. So I signed up and I waited about 24 hours and I got an, a notification to say a friend had accepted you into Clubhouse, if you will. And then you're, you're, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of, it was a unique experience. I didn't expect that for, to begin with. You get accepted um, and then you get two invites. So if you wanted to sign up, you can invite basically two other people and then you get more of those as you as you use the app as, as you join more conversations fundamentally it's an audio-based iphone app so it's only available on iphone at the moment and it's like listening to someone else's telephone conversation all in a legal way so you don't download the app and you just join other people's uh, conversations so think of it as like an audio chat um social network fundamentally so when you get access and you've been accepted by whomever accepts your application, let's say, the app kind of gives you a range of conversational topics to, to follow. Sports, technology, world affairs, politics, the, the whole gambit of, of things. You kind of select what you're interested in and then people host rooms. So you and I could host a clubhouse room and just have a general conversation through the audio of, um, of our iPhones. The difference, and I, I heard someone describe it as like, well, it's just a podcast app then. Well, the difference there is it's unrecorded, it's unrecorded firstly, so it's, it's live. So if you, if you want to listen to a conversation, people schedule it in the future, and you have to make sure that you're available for that time to schedule it uh, and to attend versus just, oh, I know a podcast is coming on Monday. I'll find some time in the next 30 days to download and listen to it. Also the, so it's AM radio. Yeah, on an iPhone and, and groups. And you can see who's there as well, I think. So, so I, was, I was looking at a, like a marketing group and there was like four or five people having a conversation through, it, through an iPhone and, and, and you could see all the other guests. And, and they had a decent number of people there. There was like what, what, just over 1,000 um, individuals within, um, within that room. The, the style of conversation is, is not set by the social app. It's, it's really, it varies. Some are really informal. Um, some are, some are really formal and very kind of interview style. Uh, I think, I think the, the difference is like you could be in the room listening to a conversation and the host of that room, you can invite you on stage so you can then join in the conversation. So if, and you can also raise your hand to say that you have something to offer and then you could also, um, kind of start speaking which could lead to some kind of real um real different conversations being having and um yeah so until the speaker invites you you're muted you are muted and a listen only yeah okay interesting there's a there's a guy on twitter i follow his name is barry schwartz he's a uh, big in the seo community he um he just launched his own i don't know channel or I, i'll i'll be full disclosure i have not logged in i've just observed this um 
And he was saying how he invited some people to a conversation and then it turned to like one big advertisement for something he didn't support. And he was profusely apologizing to his followers or fans or whatever it is on Twitter. And then he said that he directly saw a loss in his like subscribers as a result of that. Is that something you can see becoming um, like a trend if people, you know, send folks to the wrong place or get involved in a topic that, um, you know, you can't really control? Well, it, it's it's unrecorded. So if you're recording a podcast with somebody and, and they talk about something that you're not very comfortable with or, or whatever it might be, you you edit them out or you edit that section out, right? Whereas on this app, it, it's it's straight out to the to the internet. And I think eventually someone will figure out how to record it and publish audio somewhere else, right? So that, that will happen. Like any other social network, they had challenges with hate speech and abuse uh, in last year and in October I had to institute guidelines and I was reading about it on the clubhouse website and they basically said that they trusted people not to be jerks and ultimately they are and it's true yeah Murphy's law if you will be a jerk if, if jerks are able to get there you will you will end up with jerks okay. um well maybe the next episode of decoded we can do through to, through clubhouse and there'll be three people there to listen to us <laughs> They, I mean, when you look at the room, they they do have a lot of people. Like there's a, there's um, there are there's a lot of users there. It, it's one of these things where you you've got a range of people saying it will be successful. Oh, it will not be successful, and it will die. So if you look back through the timeline of the internet, right? In 1995, they said the internet was a fad. In 2006, they said Facebook is for students and no one else will do it. It's still around. 15 years later 2012 instagrams for kids 2015 linkedin is just for job searching 2019 tiktok's just for dancing 2021 clubhouse won't last it will be around right people will continue and it will have its place in the ecosystem of social whether it will be instagram or facebook size we will see but it's um it's an interesting part um part of the world anyway so let's uh, let's think. Let's switch gears and talk about something that's been around a long time, probably here for much longer than um, any of us, and that's Amazon. So I think we all know a lot of us live in the Amazon ecosystem, from shopping to music to um, Alexa devices in every room, or even perhaps multiple Alexa devices in one room. Um, but Jeff Bezos, their CEO, founder, the classic in the garage with his wife's story, creates a billion-dollar e-commerce company, um, unprofitable for years, and then snap a finger, it's a money machine. Um, he's stepping back and moving into a chairman role and handing the um, CEO reins over to the head of AWS, which is Amazon Web Services. Um, what do we think about this, and do we think it's uh, the right move for Amazon, um, and do we think the growth will only continue? I mean, it, it's a critical cultural landmark in the history of the internet, ultimately. He, he set up Amazon in 1994, and there's always that famous picture of him in his office or his garage with the painted Amazon.com banner behind him. And he's, he's taken that to a, flat, a platform that's more than a website, right? It's a logistics company. It's a marketing company. It's a grocery company. It's an online marketplace. It streams you know, TV and video um, and audio into your room. It's Alexa's in home tech, it's web hosting, and it's it's just grown and grown and grown. And it's now a $1.7 trillion company that sells everything and practically does everything. So he is a business leader within e-commerce and digital. It shouldn't be underestimated in terms of the, the just the brain of the man and just understanding everything that has to happen. I think he's also changed the landscape of buying online. Everybody wants the Amazon experience now of one-click shopping. Why can't I get it tomorrow? Why can't I get it by 8 a.m. the next the next day? So he still widely owns, you know, more shares in the company than than anybody else. And I'm fairly confident that while he's focusing on those things like space travel and things like the Washington Post, that Amazon will continue to to grow, to grow. I read through his email that he sent to his uh, team or his associates and I, I loved the last line and it said, keep inventing and don't despair when the first idea looks crazy. Remember to wonder, let your curiosity be your compass. 
And I, I think if you think back to like Amazon, how it's developed over the last, well, many, many years, you can understand that where that culture has come from because often you log into the app and there's something new and it goes again somewhere else and they're just constantly inventing. And yeah, it's, it's a shame for the e-commerce space, but Amazon will continue to grow. And I'm sure Jeff will do some amazing other things too, right? It's like, I think he's got like a, I mean, he's probably the next Elon Musk in that sense of like, he's already got a couple weird little holding companies that have been side gambles and let's see what he does next. But I mean, I'll tell you, my, my four-year-old refers to Amazon as the battery store because we go through so many batteries or, and then whenever there's a delivery, it's either like, is that the Amazon man or is that the battery man? And I got to tell him it's, it's the same. It's the same people. <laughs> it's behind everything. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's go into a, a topic that's a little bit closer to the, the reality of what we do at MDF. So I think we all know um, the event business is in a very bizarre place right now. The pandemic continues to to lash on, and I think we're, we're probably through the darkest parts of it, um, but it's had a major impact on events. So many events that you and I have historically attended in person have been switched to online. There is lots of rumor that some of those events will continue to stay online um, in the future. Some will reopen. For example, Apple's developer conference every year, um, they apparently have the most engagement views attention ever from it, from going completely virtual. And they're debating even ever going back to doing it in person because they've had such success and the logistics are, are truly world-class for it. Um, so we basically got a, we've got a really interesting two articles we'll put in the show notes. One is from Event Manager blog. It comes from Skift. It's basically UK research on um, the event industry, when it's going to come back. And then um, one from Search Engine Land where there is the, the general gist is how quickly can vaccines permeate so that events can come back online. Um, but Chris, what's your, what's your take on the resurgence of this? Is this a 2021 thing, a 2022 thing, um, or are online events here to stay? I think online events are here to stay. The, the technology has jumped so far just in the last 12 months, and I've attended some which it's just, it's just been so seamless. And I think that it's, it's not just hosting a Zoom call anymore. You have ones where you've got breakout rooms and, and all of those good things. And it's really, the technology behind it is really good. So this study was a study of uh, two, around 200 marketeers and they, they create the event participation index on a fairly regular basis. And what I found interesting was that 75% of those marketeers surveyed said that in the beginning of 2021 that they would be highly unlikely to attend any in-person events in the first half of of this year but that dropped to around 20 percent if you looked into the second half of the year and i think i can understand that right i think if i i'm just saying can we get to the summer and then look where we go on vacation so you can understand that kind of hot um second half of of the year i think Companies have invested in more infrastructure and education, you know, across virtual training. If you just look at our own team, you know, before we were very much in the office, there were some people remote. However, now we've invested in people getting proper microphones and proper headsets and proper webcams. And because this idea of Teams, Zoom, uh, GoToWebinar is, is, here to, is here to stay. Interestingly, 30% of people surveyed said that they preferred virtual events to in-person events citing things like convenience environmental impact the ease of asking questions but critically as you can understand lower cost so going back to uh, the the conference that we we're talking about at the beginning it was great to go but you were you were on a six-hour flight from dc to san francisco you which is a few hundred bucks right you had a hotel for two or three nights taxis all of all of those good things you tell me that I can join and it's a couple hundred bucks and I can do it from my, my office or my, my front room. Then it's compelling. I, I remember distinctly back when I got into marketing in 2007, I think the next year I had a coworker who went to a virtual trade show and it was the, the early days of CSS and websites. And you basically like, you had an avatar and you walked around the different booths in this like kind of like GeoCities like thing. And then you went into it and it popped up to just like a web page, and then there was like information about that service there. And I thought about that a couple of times of like how far it's come from my colleague Jeff sitting next to me in a cube 
going through and being like, this is what an online event is like to the ones you've produced for our team, the ones that we've gone to. And heck, I don't even think we'd probably be doing this podcast if it wasn't for this change, because I mean, the microphone I'm on, you literally um, bequeathed to me from a conference that you were at, right? Where basically they wanted you to speak, so they gave you pro gear. That's something that I don't think we would have naturally stumbled upon if we didn't have this change in scenery. So I think it's one of those things where I'd love the ability to engage with more things and maybe not have to have that, that tax of going to a conference because it's exhausting. I mean, we've often joked that we need two days off after a conference. Um, so people get sick, all that type of stuff. And that's even before the, the madness that was last year or so. All right, Chris. So uh, Google is launching another new feature. Shocker with that. Um, it's called Learn More About This Result. And it is a card that pops up when um, you hover over an area that basically shows you more information about what the source or the website you're about to click through to or tap through to has. So um, this is interesting because Google historically, when they have displayed information through these things called rich snippets, which is more information in search results, richer features, et cetera. Um, they've always disclosed this information, but now it's even larger and louder and in your face. And that's a really good thing because Google's for years been beat up. And you know, we talked about this in a past episode, regulation and regulatory issues with where this information comes from. Um, heck, we talked about how Australia wants Google to actually pay sites that they link to back for, for dollars. Um, so what do you think about this new feature? Is this continually going in the right direction or is this overkill? I, I kind of like it. I mean, it's you're able to see where the information comes from, and and as a as a marketeer, if you're seeing incorrect information within there, they a lot of that information is populating from those knowledge panels or knowledge graphs, and Google does accept feedback through that. So, I think the ability to update it and and change it is is also good. As we were preparing for this podcast, I was thinking, is there an episode that goes by where we don't mention Google? Because I, I think the last five we have, so it, they're, they're constantly innovating, and I think it's it's a it's a good change, um, and you're able to see, you know, it's more transparent, which I think is good, and you're able to see where information is coming from for that site, so you can, as a user, determine whether you trust the information or not, and they're putting that information in the hands of the customer, which is only a good thing. So let's do one last story, and then we will uh, we'll get on to the interview with Tammy. Um, so again, let's, let's talk about Tim Cook for a second. So he's Apple CEO. Um, he kind of is in an interesting spot where probably the new guy at Amazon probably needs to look at the Tim Cook playbook for how to basically take over from that revolutionary innovative CEO of, of Steve Jobs. Um, but Tim Cook's been a privacy advocate and proponent for, for years now. And with the next release of iOS, as at 15, I don't know, the next iOS beta, um, they're launching something called IDFA, which is Identifier for Advertisers. And it's basically the ability to turn off all user tracking, detection, information sharing. And we've heard Apple talk about doing stuff like this in the past. They have their own um, fairly encrypted sign-in feature where you can sign into an account without having to create a password or anything. So if I want to get into the Washington Post, for example, I can sign in with Apple. It shares just my email, nothing else. I can select name, no name, and you don't even have a password because you just go into it. Um, so clearly they're very, very serious about this. Um, and personally, um, I think it impacts a lot of social media sites. I think Facebook, for example, has probably some of the most heinous policies for what they do with your your voice, your information, all that type of stuff. Um, and personally, as the older I get, the more mundane my habits get, I care about privacy a lot more. Um, but what do you think about this, Chris? Is this, uh, is this the, the death of online advertising or is this just the, the next thing we have to roll with? The next thing that we have to roll with. I mean, Facebook have been against the changes since they were announced in the summer. And if you understand Facebook's business model, you understand why in 2020 it was just under 98 percent of all facebook's global revenue came from advertising where they're using people's personal data to be able to understand what adverts uh, to to serve to them so the the challenge that facebook has is their advertising works their ability to use their data third-party data and serve you content is amazing and that's why advertisers go there to advertise because they're able to pinpoint people so well i think in terms of segments though if, if you look at 
how Facebook's advertising has been kind of divided up. Mobile is is their most prominent or promising, sorry, should I say, advertising form. And in 2018, so a couple of years ago now, it already accounted for 92% of their total advertising revenue. So a major change like this is going to have a major change on their business. And now other companies have come out. Um, Snapchat, Pinterest have all said that they expect some issues with this change. To me, the opt-in rates from users will impact any extent of those challenges. So my question would be, are Apple going to opt you into this and you have to opt out and say, I'm happy for my data to be shared? Or do you have to physically go and say, I don't want my data to be shared? And that to me is critical because if, if they leave it up to the customer to say, I don't want this, it's likely to have a blip in the environment. If they right, suddenly turn around, around and say, everybody's in this boat, it'll have a bigger impact. Yeah, if it's a hidden setting that people only like you and me that are nerds for this would know where to get to it, it's not gonna have any impact at all. But if it's one of the first things of you open the app and it's a system dialogue button, then I mean you're they're they're gonna have they're gonna put some a major sting on these these guys. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to watch, interesting to roll out. I think Apple's historically um, they're very conservative when they roll out features in betas, and this, this might be in beta for even who knows, another year, right? They're probably gonna collect feedback. And I think that's one thing that they're so smart about is they get lots of groundswell feedback and then only what makes it to market is the stuff that's really impactful. So um, we'll be sure to watch that and keep everyone posted. So um, Chris, as always, thanks for your brain and insights um, and intelligence. And uh, I'm excited to go talk to Tammy, are you? I am, I mean, Tammy's well-respected within the hotel digital marketing space. She's got a huge amount of experience in, in everything from search to UX to digital marketing. And I'm really looking forward to talking to her about voice search and, and how the digital landscape has changed over the last few years. And, and also things like FAQ pages and why they've started to pop up. And you know, Tammy's a great mind, great expertise, great experience. And I'm sure that everyone will learn a lot from, from our conversation with her today so so let's jump to a quick break and then we'll come back and have our conversation with Tammy Carlisle all right well welcome back from the break um, and we want to spend some time talking through an in-depth topic like we do every every time we release an episode so let's move on to the educational topic for today and we're going to talk now to a, a true expert we're joined by Tammy Carlisle from Milestone Internet Milestone and Marriott Digital Services are real true partners. We, we work together on many, many different projects, digital offerings, and frankly, all over the world as well. So hi, Tammy. How are you today? Hi, Chris. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So before we jump into the content today, can you tell us a little bit about Milestone and, and your role there? Sure, sure. So Milestone is a digital marketing agency and a MarTech provider. Uh, we work with companies to really help drive visibility and revenue. Uh, our main vertical is hospitality and obviously working with Marriott and, and others. Uh, and as head of hospitality, I work with our sales and our operations teams to really help ensure success for our hotel partners. So we're going to spend today talking about some trends in the digital space. Myself and Tammy sit on the same HSMAI board and um, she pre presented a couple of weeks ago and I thought it was fantastic and it's going to be a really informative conversation. So let's start with the evolution of search. Can you talk us through the change in search queries and the results and how these have evolved over the last 10 to 12 years? Absolutely. So uh it's a kind of interesting. I've been at Milestone since 20, uh, 27, and I was a client for about five years before that. So when I started, you know, search was new, what hotel websites were just starting to gain traction. And really for a hotel to be successful, they could build a website, add some content. I used to joke, you know, I'd write my San Francisco hotel and San Francisco, uh, California is a San Francisco hotel that, right? Like kind of joking around, but really you added some of that, that type of content and then got some links back. So you, you got your CVB to link to you or an attraction to link to you. And I don't want to make it oversimplified, but that was it. And you would actually do really well. And so what's happened over the years that, you know, as, as 
companies have tried to figure out how to game the system, right? The search engines have taken steps to improve the user experience and provide better results. Uh, you know, I always, I always talk about Google, all right, but all search engines. I mean, Google has the lion's share in between Google and YouTube as number one and number two search engines. Uh, the goal is really for them uh, to provide the best result to that consumer because if the consumer gets the answer they want when they're uh, when they're coming to the search engine they're gonna come back the next time they have another search right if I'm not happy with the results I'm seeing on Google I'm gonna go elsewhere and that's how the search especially Google has been able to kind of maintain that line share and so over the years you've probably heard of the Google Zoo or you know there's all these different algorithm updates uh, which is just fancy ways of saying like changes <laughs> to how they do things to improve search and so just a couple uh, Panda was really about duplicate content and making you know making sure that companies weren't just copying their CVB's content pasting it into their site and trying to pass that off as fresh and new because again to the user if I'm going to this website and it didn't give me the answer and I go to the next website and it's the exact same content and the next website the exact same content I'm gonna get disappointed I'm gonna go elsewhere so the search engines took steps to to minimize that penguin was all about the spammy links because what people were doing is oh hey buddy with the hardware store in Toledo Ohio can you link to my hotel in Dallas Texas there's no relevancy between that that store that that hardware store and that hotel but people were trying to manufacture links and, and really game the system and so and there were a couple of really big name companies not in hospitality but in retail one in particular that got nailed with that update and really saw a dramatic decrease uh, in their rankings in fact i think google de-indexed them for two days but then kind of let them back uh, and then hummingbird it really has laid the groundwork you know if you think to 10 years ago it was 10 blue links on a page and then you go to the next page and there was 10 blue links and now you've got your knowledge panel and you know Google my business and you might have images and you might have videos and news and answer boxes and so there's all these different things and hummingbird really laid that groundwork for conversational search for uh, synonyms and themes and related topics so to me the biggest change has come in the last few years the search engines have moved away from just keywords and links so that San Francisco hotels that uh, you know links back to your site to to more focusing on topical themes and entities as as relates to search that doesn't mean that content isn't important that doesn't mean that links don't have a place but they're looking at around the overall entity and so I always like to tell people when you're thinking about entity search or what the search engines are trying to do think about something like the Empire State Building so the Empire State Building is that entity the fact that it's 102 floors the fact that construction started in 1930 uh, it closes right now at 9 p.m. I googled it yesterday just to you know, you know so all of those things are attributes as part of the entity that is the uh, Empire State Building and the more that you can help the search engines make those connections between your business your hotel as the entity and your you know features amenities you know, check-in check-out time uh, room types tourist attractions that are related to your hotel all those things that make your hotel you the more you can do that the better off you're going to be so do you think that if you if you look at the way that Google or any search engines been approaching this it's all been about the customer experience so if you if you think about a business my view would be if they think about their customers and what information that they want you know if they're walking up to the front desk for example or they're walking up to the reception desk or the reception desk in the empire state building answering those questions making sure that they're providing the best possible user experience it's going to go hand in hand with the search engine surely 100 percent. so um 
you know, and, and it's really, really important that you're thinking through that guest experience because that's what's going to help you uh, with search. So do you think then if, if to make the most of these, this evolution and these changes and, and everything that's happening and, and it's not stopping and we're going to talk about that in, in a moment, but the most thing, the businesses that can do the most thing out of this evolution would be to focus on the customer experience. Is that your recommendation? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, Google's actually said from the beginning of time about focusing on the customer, you know, the customer providing a good user experience and the, the search engines will follow. Like don't chase the search engines. And that's actually been something Milestone's been very focused on from day one. It's not about chasing the search engines. It's about solving the problem. The problem that the guest has is figuring out information. How do you solve that from them? And when you do that, you tend to see good results. With that being said, Tammy, I thought I'd read articles since the day is dawn that SEO is dead. <laughs> And you have, and you know, and that's what's so sad, right? So, um, for for me, it's it's really about that. It, it kind of ties back to that user experience. So, going through their you know, your digital assets, making sure your information is accurate, uh, taking advantage of everything that whether you're a branded property or you know, the, every option that you have available to you. And you're right, a lot of people. In fact, I have been known to joke with my SEO team. Hey, SEO's dead. And I get daggers and rightfully so it's a joke. I don't believe it at all. Uh, a lot of people think so. A lot of people think SEO are dead, but over 50% of all search traffic is st still organic. The traffic that's coming into your website is coming from organic or natural search traffic. So it's really, you know, a lot of people focus on the fact that there's more paid links now within Google. And that's true. Google has carved out a bit more paid options. They're a business. They're trying to do that. We're not here to, to discuss whether that's right or wrong, but there's still a lion's share of information and results and, and traffic to your websites that's coming organically. So it's really important to, to pay attention and to, to really do what you can as a business to capitalize and garner as much of that as you can to your website. So we're starting also to see a lot of blogs and LinkedIn articles and various different experts talk about core web vitals and how this is going to change the search landscape in, in 2021. So, so Tammy, what, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, crazy, isn't it? So just when you think you've got, you know, the, I, I, okay, I figured out Panda or I figured out, you know, this, the next thing comes and it comes fast and it comes furious. So let's talk a little bit about core web vitals. It's really about the page experience for the user. So it kind of aligns with everything we've just said about making a good customer experience. And one of the interesting things, and I know we had talked about a little bit on the HSMI call is in doing research, uh, mobile bandwidth, if you think about, right, yay 5G, I've got, I've got my uh, handy dandy iPhone in my hand and it's so fast now. But actual mobile websites were two times slower in 2019 than they were in 2012. I don't know about you guys. I live in Silicon Valley, right? We're not, you know, the, the days of doo-doo, you know, you've got mail are over. Like, I want things now. People want things now. And the fact that mobile sites are so slow, uh, to me, is, is a problem, right? And so how do, you, how do you go about fixing that? So Google first rolled out core web vitals. And really it's, it's just a set of metrics related to speed, responsiveness, and visual stability in May of 2020. And it was really funny. Uh, it was a blog post. And they basically said, we're gonna give you some tools, but by, and by the way, we, we kind of, I don't know about you guys, but May 2020, uh, it's pretty hunkered down in the house, right? Thinking that, oh, well, you know, I might still get to go to Europe last summer. Yeah, like that happened. But uh, so Google said, you know, hey, we realize the world's going through a pandemic and now is probably not the time to roll out this major change to y'all. 
So we'll give you six months heads up before we really push this out as a ranking factor, but we're gonna give you the tools now so you can start looking at things. Then in November, they rolled out, guess what? Here's your six months notice. So they have said publicly on their blogs that page experience signals will be a ranking factor starting in May of 2021. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you look at the history of search, most updates that Google does, they don't announce it or they'll tell you after the fact. They don't give you a year's heads up. That tells us that this is going to be a major change, a major thing. And what I'm finding is a lot of people aren't, don't really know about it yet. And so let's kind of talk about what the, the components are. So there's three main components and they detail it pretty well in their blogs. And I'll, I'll give you, you know, the links for show notes, but it's around loading interactivity and visual stability. So loading looks at, it's a signal called LCP or largest contentful paint, which is a fancy way of saying like the time it takes for the page's main content to load, right? So they want that to be quick. Uh, interactivity, which is measured, it's a, it's a term called FID or first input delay, is the time it takes for the page to become interactive. And again, really low benchmarks there. And the last thing, which is actually my favorite, because it's the thing that frustrates me most as a consumer, and that's the visual stability, which is a, a term called CLS, or cumulative layout shift. So this one, you ever been on your mobile and you pull up a website and the as the page is loading, like the button was here, but then it moves across the screen and it kind of shifts around on you before you can get into play? That's cumulative layout shift, those elements jumping around. It's, it's the amount of unexpected layout shift of the, the visual page content. And I don't know about you guys, but that drives me bananas. And it really does create a, a poor user experience. So Google's just trying to kind of solve those things with core web vitals. I'm personally looking forward to this. There's, a, there's many, many websites that I go on that the user experience is horrific. And not just horrific because you're in the digital space. It's horrific because it's just bad, frankly. And I, I read an article and it, and it said that you, there was a tool that Google launched that you can go on and, and kind of see where the, where the website is failing. Unfortunately, you can't do that for business websites that you don't own. So I was trying to look at this website and say, okay, well, how much are they going to get dinged by it? But if you were advising a business today, given all of that opportunity for growth that you've just talked about, what would you advise them? Ah, no, that, that's such a great question. And, you know, there is a tool that is free to use called PageSpeed Insights. Uh, and, and you can Google. We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get you a link for, you know, the show notes. But um, and I'm sure you guys have this. It's a tool that will tell you your site speed and tell you whether you pass the Core Web Vitals test. Uh, I... I consult with a lot of hotels and as you know, as part of my role, I audit a lot of websites. I'm constantly looking at those, those websites through tools like PageSpeed Insights and a few others that, and, and looking for that pass fail and looking for site speed. What's really cool about the tool is not only does it tell you either like, eh, you fail or, you know, Hey, yes, you've succeeded but it also gives you details and recommendations of what you as the business can do to improve your scores. So it, it walks kind of step-by-step step how, how to fix a problem or how to be better prepared for core web vitals. And I will tell you, I have done a lot of auditing and in the last three months, I've only had one hotel I've talked to where they actually passed, uh, you know, when I'm looking at non-milestone sites, where they actually passed the Core Web Vitals test. So to me, this is a huge opportunity. Uh, I know it's a little bit technical, and, and some people have probably fallen asleep by this point, but it's such a, a great opportunity to take that extra step to get ahead of your competition. 
I think personally it is complicated and you need experts like yourself, Tammy and the milestone team and the team that we have here at Marriott doing that type of work for you. But fundamentally go to your website and think about it as a customer and think, would I be happy with this experience? And if the answer to that is no, you've got a bigger problem, frankly. So I think it's complicated, but you've also got an opportunity just to go on your website and think like a customer. Yep. One of the things I always recommend that's such a, a, a great uh, comment is not only go and look at your website every so often, maybe set up a recurring, you know, every three months, I'm going to just take a look and go through. Ask one of your friends who's not in the hospitality industry mm -hmm. to do that for you. Hey, will you look at my website and give me some feedback. Do you know, uh, you know, who we are, what we are, how easy was the booking process, right? Like maybe even tell them like, hey, if you book a room, I'll, you know, we we'll cancel it on the back end. But how, how easy was that process for you? And you will be amazed at the feedback you get, uh, you know, usually pretty cheap. I'll, I'll, I'll buy a buddy, you know, a beer or you say, I'll take you out to pizza or, you know, whatever it might be. Or maybe I'll, maybe I'll have a pizza delivered to you since I can't really go see you in person right now. But you would be amazed at the feedback you get that will help make your site better for the average user. Because sometimes we get blinders because we do this all day long. Uh, I, I have to share a story just because it really hones in on this. I was talking to, not a Marriott, but a branded property, this was about five years ago, about building a vanity website. And it was someone, you know, I kind of knew and I went and met with them and talked through and they called me back to their office two weeks later to show me the website that their engineering team created for the hotel and how proud they were. And so I sat there, I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, how does the guest book? And they all jaw dropped. No one had thought to put a booking widget on the site. There was no link to the brand booking widget or anywhere else to book, right? It, and it's, we do that, like we're, we get so fixated. We forget sometimes the basics. And I'm guilty of that too when I was on the hotel side. I Story after story of that. So get your friends, get others to, to help and to look at, and you'd be amazed at what you can uncover and how you can improve. Uh, results and at least get people to your booking engine <laughs> yeah. well by having one might be a good start right? you know yeah <laughs> so one thing that i've noticed popping up uh, a bunch re recently whether it's on big corporate websites or kind of individual small businesses restaurants bars breweries or wineries is faq pages so how are they useful to the customer yeah yeah you're definitely faqs has become a trend um we oftentimes we call them traveler's insights quite frequently on our sites. And if you think about how search works, right? Every search is nothing more than a user trying to find an answer to a question. And if you're in the early days, you had sites like Ask Jeeves and we would you know, ask these long questions. And then as mobile became prevalent and before voice or things were, it was like my fat fingers trying to actually type things. Search queries got shorter and now they've kind of expanded back into questions again as voice and other things have become more prevalent. And this, the, you know, whether that question, whether, whether the, the user is searching for San Francisco hotels or whether they're searching for the best hotels in Boston with an indoor pool or how do, you know, how do I charge my iPhone? Right, the, the consumer is doing that query to find an answer. This, from the search engine's perspective, you know, it comes back to that consumer and user experience. They wanna provide the best answer. They want the user to be happy so they come back to the search engine. They don't care where that answer comes from, just that it's the best answer. And so if you're not taking advantage of FAQs, if you're not answering basic questions, having that content, those details, especially now in this, this pandemic world where, uh, you know, what, what's available? Like, is, is the amenity set the same? What am I going to get when I'm in the area? Uh, your, you know, the search engines are going to pick up those answers from others. So to me, it's the difference between your hotel actually showing up from a for a search like does you know ex my hotel allow pets 
or bringfido.com showing up. Likewise, I've seen hotels where if you ask the, you know, does this hotel have an airport shuttle, Expedia or Booking shows up versus the actual hotel. And if you think about it, when Expedia and Booking show up first, what do they have on their site? All of your competitors. So you really want to make sure that guests are coming to you for that information. And the more, the more they come to you, the more likely they, they gather that information from you, especially early on, the less they rely on others, the more likely when they're ready to book, they're going to come to you to actually make that reservation. So from our perspective, those FAQs and that content are really important from, a, from an SEO perspective. So Tammy, while we're on the, the topic of trends and new emerging experiences and all that stuff, obviously FAQ pages are, are everywhere. I think you just did an amazing job of outlining like how they're useful, why you can have them, why you should have them, um, prevents your competitors from eating your own lunch. Um, how does that impact voice search? Yeah, voice search is such a fun topic. Uh, it is definitely becoming more prevalent as you know more users have cell phones or your your voice assistants right the amazon apple google boxes um i actually have two within <laughs> a couple of feet of me let me be careful not to call them out by name because that's always fun when you're on a call and um uh, yeah or my yeah, daughter a bunch of podcasts Sarah. i listen to they call it just dingus so that you don't have your yeah. wall blow up Ah, uh, a Merlin Man fan. We'll have to chat. <laughs> uh, let me kind of give you an example. And I'm going to use Google Assistant on my iPhone, and hopefully we can hear this okay. Okay, Google, does Hotel Vin allow pets? Here it is, Hotel Vin autograph collection. So you can see the answer, the voice answer that came up was Hotel Vin, not someone else, and they allow pets. Um, sometimes it works a little differently. Sometimes it'll give you a, a longer snippet answer from the hotel. Sometimes it'll give you just the basic information. But the, if you think about it, we talked a lot about search in the 10 blue links versus now there's a bit more on the search result. If I'm on my laptop computer, but when I'm using voice search, there's one answer. So it's even more important with voice search that you have that content, that information, those FAQs, because with voice search, you only get one right answer, whether that's you or somebody else. Personally, I think with, with voice search, the thing that's striking me most is I have, I have three young daughters and that is the only way that they search. They have their they have their Alexa in their room, and they're constantly asking it questions. I think sometimes it's what's their math answers to their like homeschooling, and they're sh like they're shouting at the Alexa, and, and the Alexa's reading it back. But quite often, if we're going somewhere, so we were planning a trip out to a national park, I found my daughter um, talking to the Alexa about how far's the journey. Is there um, is there a Starbucks along the route? Right, she's eight years old. But I think if you think about her in 10 years, she's going to be a consumer. She's going to be buying things. And that's the only way that she knows how to, how to search. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's such a good point. It's only going to get more prevalent. Uh, I still struggle with voice search. My husband jokes it's because they don't understand my squeak well. Um, so I still remember I was in the car a couple of years ago. I have a, you know, a teenager and I wanted to look something up and I, I kind of tossed my phone at her from, you know, in the back seat and said, Hey, can you search for this for me? And what does she do? She opens the phone and does a voice search. I'm like, I could have done that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so no, it, it, show, it shows right. it. It's, I mean, I have a four-year-old who he could, we have a, we're a, a dual family. We have Alexa's and Google homes. I, I'm personally at the point where I'm a little sick of the Google home. I think it's lagged a little bit if I'm just being totally honest. Um, and he gets confused which one is which, but um, so seeing him figure out which device he needs to talk to is hilarious, but that's the only way he knows to turn the lights out at this point. It's like, he doesn't go up to the knob and turn it off. He just says, dingus, turn it off and you're, you're good to go. Um, so obviously, I mean, voice searches, it's fun. It, it provides enjoyment for us as parents um, and also major utility. Um, I think you've also outlined pretty well that Google makes all these changes so that that data is available to basically go to any input they want, right? Like they really don't care if it's desktop, mobile web, voice, as long as they have that data, right? 
Um, so I think we all know one of the really good ways to do that is make sure that your local search presence is really strong. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we saw um, what is not the annual, but the somewhat regular 2020 search ranking factors come out. White Spark did their, their spin on it this year. Um, so Tam, obviously you're an expert on this. Um, what are a couple of things that strike you that we should care about as marketers or, or new features that we should um, put some time with? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I actually, I really enjoyed episode four uh, and especially, you know, the reference to that white spark survey. It was interesting. I'm, I'm like, I don't consider myself an expert and I definitely wasn't in their panel of experts, although we in our panel of experts. <laughs> um, we definitely have consulted with some and we've actually had some of those experts speak for us either on webinars or our, in, our annual engage conference. So there was definitely uh, a lot of good conversation around off page factors. And so I think really to help the audience, I'm going to take a, a step back and kind of at a base level, when we're talking about SEO, when we're talking about uh, you know, search engine optimization, in my mind, it's, it boils down to two things. It's the things you do to the website, right? All those on-page factors we've talked about, adding content and FAQs and site speed, all those things. And, and that's actually important for local search. If you don't have your local phone number, right? The area code is a ranking signal to the search engine. So you could have the most optimized GMB profile, but if you don't match that data on your website, you're, it's going to hurt you. Uh, you know, having your location, but it's also just as important to have that detail off page. So when I say off page, we're talking about the GMBs, you know, Google My Businesses of the World, your Bing Local, Yelp, TripAdvisor, those uh, just some examples of sites that are important, especially for hotels, to, to have that accurate information. And I know, I know there's been a lot of conversation around UNAP, URL, name, address, phone number, and that's very important. But it's also important to think about your, your attributes and all the other things that make your hotel you. Uh, so people, 53% of all searches, so not just hospitality or travel, but of all searches have local intent. So if you start to think about hotels and hospitality, that number is higher, right? Most people are doing some level of a local intent search, whether they're searching for New York hotels at a very high level or hotels near Chelsea Market or even things to do near Central Park, right? Those could all be relevant local searches for a hotel. And so my, one of the, you guys covered a lot. Um, one of my biggest recommendations to people is to really look at some of the features that Google rolled out last year, especially for hospitality. A lot of the things around COVID, temporary versus permanently closed. That was a huge mm -hmm. thing that really, I think, helped our hotels, especially the ones that closed down for a period of time. And then you know, even like restaurants, dine-in, curbside, delivery, right? All of these different changes. And it seems like, every day there's something new. So I almost feel like by the time this gets, you know, aired, <laughs> there will probably be three new features that they'll be like, why didn't you talk about this? And I'm like, well, cause it rolls out that quick. So um, I would just say, take, you know, stay on top of it. And obviously um, if you're listening in your Marriott hotel, partnering with MDS and, and, you know, partnering with the brand to make sure that you're taking advantage of those things on your listing is really going to help. Well, Tim, I think you you just gave us the perfect way to wrap up for today. Um, local intent's important, travel's important. So when things get a little bit more uh, relaxed, where do you want to travel to next? That is such an awesome question. So uh, I, I so miss travel. I actually booked my first hotel stay. I had a staycation last Saturday at a, a there's a fairly new Element Hotel here locally just to have a little girl's night with my daughter. It was it was heaven. I actually forgot there was a pandemic for a few hours, so which was fantastic. But my goal, uh, we were supposed to go to Europe that summer. So uh, we committed to our daughter to take her to Paris if she took three years of French. She's on her fourth year now. I've made the commitment we'll get there someday. I don't know when. I'm hoping it will be this summer. So uh, France, Italy, and the UK are kind of on our, on our radar for the summer. 
Uh, I also have to admit that part we've, we've been chatting about Hawaii because I'm in California. It's a little easier to get to Hawaii from the West Coast. Uh, and I had an amazing stay in 2019. I went to the Western Hapuna for three nights with my niece and just fell in love with the big island, with the hotel. Um, would absolutely love to go back there too. So those are probably two kind of big trips that we're planning once, once we can travel again. Personally, I think you should just go to the UK. That's the best place. <laughs> that, that is on the list if, if Europe opens up and we can actually get there this summer. So we have flights booked and passports renewed and, and we're ready to go if things open up. Well, if we do a season two, you'll have to come back and tell us about those, those trips. Hopefully get to Europe and Hawaii, um, maybe at the same time, who knows. But Tammy, <laughs> thanks for spending the time with us today and uh, dropping some knowledge. So thank you. Thank you so much, you guys. Thanks for listening. And we're grateful that you can join this journey with us today. You can get in touch with the show on Twitter at MDS underscore decoded, or you can email the show at MDS at Marriott.com. If you like today's conversation with, with Tammy and all about the news and the Super Bowl, and you can spare a few minutes to share a review, especially on iTunes, that would be fantastic. It really does help people find the show and ensure that we're sharing this knowledge with more and more people. The next episode will be released in two weeks. So make sure that you hit subscribe to be notified of when that episode will, will go live. You can enjoy this podcast on any good podcasting app and you can learn more about digital marketing at mdsdecoded.com. Thanks for listening.